you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, open with me to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and drop an anchor. That's a great Navy term. Drop an anchor at verse 6. The late theologian and pastor James Montgomery Boyce called this verse 6 one of the three greatest verses in the Bible that teaches about the perseverance of the saints, the doctrine that no one whom God has brought to salvation will ever be lost. What God began, he will truly finish. Anticipation of our celebration this morning of corporate communion, I want to unpack this verse, this powerful verse of Scripture, and to remind ourselves of the fact that God is completely sovereign over every aspect of our salvation, sanctification, and eventual glorification. That we should be encouraged to know that God is the sole, benevolent, powerful, reliable author, sustainer, and completer of our faith. What God starts, he will indeed finish. If you and I truly belong to him by faith alone, apart from works, then we cannot and will never, ever lose our salvation. That ought to be a comforting thought in our minds today. A little more than 15 years ago, I personally began a painful three-year period of my life where I was in medical jeopardy, involved a number of hospital stays, many medical procedures and interaction with some of the best medical experts in the region. All of that culminated in a very high risk, a very long eight-hour surgery that would eventually replace one of my major organs in my body. I can still remember being on that table, being wheeled into the operating room, and as I got in there, my surgeon came and stood over me right before they put me under. He said, I want you to be completely confident in my ability and my capability to make this a successful surgery. He said, my face will be the last one you see before you go under, and it'll be the first one you see when you awake. He said, I want you to know that what I start, I will finish no matter how difficult this surgery will be. You know, as a patient going into a very difficult surgery, I cannot think of greater words to have from my surgeon. But in a much greater sense in life, can you imagine the fact that the great physician is the one that oversees all of our life and our salvation? He is more capable, more committed to carry this through. The fact that he began a good work in us, that he will see it to completion, no matter how difficult we make it for him in the carnality and the sinfulness of our life, he will see it through. That is why the Apostle Paul here in Philippians chapter 1 claimed so boldly this verse in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1. Look with me in your Bible. Paul says, for I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This statement by the Apostle Paul was timely and pertinent to the situation at the church of Philippi, the church that he helped found. We know the story in Acts chapter 16. 
Paul and his traveling partner Silas were literally summoned by the Holy Spirit to go to Macedonia. And when they got there, they met a group, a small group of believers led by a woman, a businesswoman by the name of Lydia, who had come to faith in Christ. And Paul and Silas had spent time not only in her home where the church was, being, was meeting, but they also spent time in prison, having, having led a young lady out of a difficult business and led her to Christ. And Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. And we know that the story as it unfolds, at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and worshiping God. And suddenly there's an earthquake. Their chains are fall off them. The, the doors of the prison are open. The night watchman, the prisoner, the jailer, decides he's going to take his life because he knows losing all these prisoners, he'll lose his job. If probably not his life, he's going to take his own life. And Paul stops him, says, nobody's left. We're still all here. And that jailer asked the apostle Paul, friends, the most important question in all of life. He said, what must one do to be saved? It's the most important question in all of life. What must one do to be saved? Without any hesitation, the Apostle Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We can see how the Philippians had an incredible love for the Apostle Paul. They were the ones, though not financially wealthy, they were the ones that sent the Apostle Paul on his missionary journey with a healthy monetary gift to get him started. But 10 years have passed now, and they've lost contact with Paul. Paul's been now on his third missionary journey. He's now in a, in a, a Roman prison, and now the church in Philippi has found Paul again. And they want to send him a gift and a report on how the church is doing. So they send this man by the name of Epaphroditus who gets deathly ill on his journey to see Paul bringing that monetary gift. What we have here in the book of Philippians, this letter to the church in Philippi, is Paul's response to receiving that gift. Some despair, some discouragement had set into the church. Some false teaching had set into the church. And some doubt about their salvation had set into the church. Paul didn't want anything to happen to them to rob them of their joy. And so he sent this letter from the book of Philippians to the church to describe to them in detail who they were in Christ and what Christ had done and will continue to do for them. And so in our time today together in this, I want to unpack this one powerful verse and make the same application that the Apostle Paul made for the church of Philippi to make it for us. Because I want us to see from this one verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that you and I are, number one, we are confident in Christ alone for our salvation. We are confident in Christ alone for our salvation. Secondly, we are created in Christ alone for our salvation. And thirdly, we will be completed in Christ alone for our salvation. The Apostle Paul also says here at the end of this verse, he will do this until the day of Christ Jesus. 
He is committed to bring us to the point of our glorification until the day of Christ Jesus. We understand this to be the marriage of Christ and the church when the rapture will occur and all of us who belong to Christ will meet him in the air and we will become anew. We will be made glorified at that point. Jesus is committed to that. Let's look at the first point in the first part of verse 6. Paul writes, for I am confident of this very thing. He says, I am confident in Christ alone for my salvation. And frankly, we should say we're thankful that it's not based on our ability alone for our salvation. Can you imagine what would happen if everybody's salvation was dependent on their ability to gain it and to hold on to it? You and I can barely balance a checkbook We can't even put the proper turn signal on, much less save ourselves from eternal damnation. Little, if anything, should encourage a Christian more than the knowledge that despite life's uncertainties and difficulties, despite all of our false living that we do, that Jesus is the one that ensures our salvation. We are confident in him and him alone. The Apostle Paul is issuing here a guarantee. He says, I am confident of this very thing, that your salvation is in Christ alone. I want you to flip over one book to the left to Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll unpack in a little bit of why this is important that we understand that we're thankful that our salvation is on Jesus and not on us. It's on Jesus to make sure he gives us the salvation and maintains it for us and not on us because we are totally incapable. Ephesians chapter 2, if you flipped over there with me. This was written about a year prior to this letter to the church at Philippi. And the apostle Paul was laying out in Ephesians chapter 2 why salvation cannot rest upon us, why it needs to rest on Jesus and Christ alone. Look what he says in verses 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians chapter 2. Speaking about us in our, our situation before we came to Christ, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3 says, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul's telling us here that there's nothing you and I could do to garner our own salvation, much less hold on to it. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. There wasn't a single person that was longing after God. We use the expression to say, if God was looking down the corridor of time from eternity past to eternity future, and he was looking for what hands would be raised in that corridor of time that would would want to beg for salvation, he would look down that corridor of time. You know what he would see? Nothing. The scripture says that not a single one of us, because we're dead in our trespasses and sins, not a single one of us would desire after God. We don't have it in us by our nature. In fact, what it says we desired after was the ways of this world. And it says we desired after the God of this world. 
2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan is the God of this world. So you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were following after the God of this world. We were following the ways of this world. And verse 3 says, we were pretty happy to be there as well. We can't be confident in our ability to save ourselves. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what a sad end of the story it would be if the scriptures ended there. Thankfully, they do not. Because look at verse 4. Starts with two of the most powerful words in the English language applied in scripture. Paul speaking about our condition, dead in our trespasses and sins, following the God of this world, following the ways of this world. He starts with verse 4. It says, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive. That's the salvation right there. He brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life. He made us alive. We had nothing to do with it. He did the whole thing. He made us alive together with Christ. And Paul adds in parents there, by grace you have been saved, and we have. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. Think through biblical history how God had worked in the same way. <clears throat> Moses was leading the, the nation of Israel uh, away from Pharaoh's charging army. They ran up against the, 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 the Red Sea, but God. Joseph was thrown in a pit by his brothers and left for dead, but God. Joshua stood before the, the walls of Jericho. How will I ever take these down? But God intervened. David was standing in front of a nine foot six, uh, an opponent by the name of Goliath. But God, Lazarus had already succumbed to physical death and was in the tomb for three days. But God, Saul, who became the apostle Paul, was on his way to Damascus to slaughter the Christians. He had the letters to prove it in his hand. But God intervened. We had nothing to do with this salvation at all. We couldn't. We were spiritually dead. You want to be confident in anybody, don't be confident in yourself. We're confident in Christ alone for our salvation. Paul says, for I am confident of this very thing. Our salvation is in Christ alone. Well, not only does Paul say in Philippians 1, 6, that he is confident in Christ alone, but secondly, he says in the second part of the verse, I am confident that he who began a good work in you. This is the, the part when Jesus recreated us. He created us anew. This is the born again that Jesus was speaking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the teacher of Israel, he didn't understand this. Jesus said, you must be born again to go from death to life. You must be born again. There must be a change that occurs in your life. This is what the Apostle Paul explained very carefully in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. We're confident in Christ alone for our salvation, but we're confident also that he recreated us. We couldn't go to heaven the way we are. We needed to be born again. 
We needed to be recreated by him and him alone. Look what it says back here, still in Ephesians chapter 2, hopefully, because those verses continue in Ephesians chapter 2. The verse is familiar to all of us in verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2. It says, for it's by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. This is the big E on the I chart for us here. Because this tells us who actually recreated us by way of salvation. We had nothing to do with this. We were spiritually dead. On the part of God, salvation is by grace. Look back at verse 8. For it's by grace you have been saved. So from God looking at us, he says, I give you the grace. How do we... How do we digest, how do we take in that grace? Well, it's by faith. Remember, that's what Paul told that jailer in in Philippi. You just must believe. You must have the faith to believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. So if salvation is by grace alone, and, and God is the only one that can give us that grace to offer us the salvation, then what we must do is receive that by faith. But the problem is we don't have faith. We're spiritually dead. So actually, this verse, look back in verse 8 again. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. Here's a key word, it. That word there, it, that means the grace of salvation and the faith to receive it. That's the it. Both of those things are a gift of God. We bring nothing to this process whatsoever. The fact that you have certain degrees from certain universities, you have a certain amount of money in your bank account, or you actually separate plastic from glass for recycling has nothing to do with your salvation. The grace of salvation coming from God and coming to us is totally on him. We are dead. God provides the grace and God provides the faith. I've used this example before. People have told me it's helpful. You think, not to demean God, but he's on the pitcher's mound, and he's pitching to us. We're catching the ball. God's pitching. What he's throwing to us is the grace. And what do we have to receive that by faith? We are there behind the plate receiving that. But you know, the problem is we didn't bring a glove. God brings everything. He brings the pitcher's glove, the ball, and the catcher's mitt, and he gives it all to us, and we just have to show up and believe in the grace that he gives us. How many of you learned to drive by yourself? You just went out and said, I think I'm going to jump in the car and go for it. I didn't either. My dad taught me to drive. I didn't have a car. I didn't know how to drive. My dad provided the car. My dad provided the the instruction on how to drive. I brought absolutely nothing to the process whatsoever. Uh, After after church today, probably some of you are going to go to a restaurant and get some lunch or some brunch. You're not going to bring your own food or your utensils? Maybe you will. It's COVID. But normally, (laughs) normally you would not bring your own food or utensils. You go to the restaurant. The restaurant provides the food and the means to eat it as well. Everything's provided for you. Some of you in the front row can see I, I, I had some surgery this week. I had a, a large piece of skin, skin cancer removed, and 
when I showed up at the doctor's office, I didn't bring any tools with me. I didn't bring any skill. The doctor did everything. I just had to come with the faith that that doctor knew what she was doing to be able to perform the surgery on me to keep me healthy. Salvation is by grace, God giving it to us, and the faith that we have to receive it. We are created by him and in him alone. We bring nothing to this process whatsoever. Paul goes on to say, so that no man will ever boast about it. So that you would never actually take credit for anything that happened. The only thing we can take credit for is the sin that requires the salvation that God offers. Paul says we are to be confident in Christ alone for our salvation. That he's the one that began the good work in us. He created, recreated us. We must be born again. It comes only from faith in the grace that God gives us. That's what the Apostle Paul is explaining to us here, explaining to the church in Philippi as well. And finally, look what it says in the last part of verse 6 in Philippians 1. He will perfect this until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul the Apostle says that it's all on God. He will perfect this until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul wrote about this, expanded this much more greatly in Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. Here's what he said. Those whom he, God, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He who began the good work in us will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. There's nothing that you and I can do to lose our salvation. Not a thing. He who began the good work in us will bring it to completion. Now, we can live an awful carnal life And it's at that point where somebody will poke a finger in our chest and say, are you sure you're walking with the Spirit? Are you sure you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Because the life, the carnal life that you're living does not reflect what the sacrifice that was made on your behalf. But we understand that people do sin. We still have a sinful nature. We've not yet been glorified. But the fact that he has saved us and he will bring us to completion means there's nothing that can happen to you or to me to lose our salvation. We should sleep well at night with that understanding, amen? That he is completely thinking about us all the time and the completion of our salvation. You don't have to turn there, but you remember how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees in John chapter 10. Jesus was walking through the temple complex, and the scripture tells us in John 10 that the Pharisees kind of surrounded and cornered him on a place called Solomon's Porch at the temple. And they were really asking Jesus about who really are you and what are you able to do? Jesus very calmly responds to them. Listen to what he says. In verse 27 of John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. This concept where God the Father has us in the palm of his hand, if you indeed belong to him, the salvation is by grace alone, received by faith which we exercise, the grace and the faith both a gift from God. He did everything to make it easy for us to believe in him. He recreated us, and now he's preserving us until we're glorified. And the scripture that Jesus was explaining to these Pharisees was the God that holds you in the palm of his hand. He holds you right here. You can't overcome him. It says he is greater than all. No one can take you out of the palm of his hand. By the way, I looked up the term no one in Greek. And you know what the term no one means in Greek? No one. I also looked up all, because it says he is greater than all. I thought, well, surely there's a loophole in there somewhere. So I looked up the word all in Greek. What Paul was writing, what, what John was writing here in, in this gospel about what Jesus actually said, my father is greater than all. So I looked up all in the Greek. And you know what the all means? Thank you. I paid a lot of money for seminary, and you, you don't have to go. No one can lose their salvation once you belong to him. You may go through periods of doubt. You may go through periods of struggle. But that's completely on us, not on God. From God's perspective, at the moment of our salvation, he's got us right in the palm of his hand, and nobody will be able to remove us from that. And when he says he is greater than all, that all, which in the Greek means all, it means us as well. It means you can't even lose your own salvation. You can't wake up tomorrow and say, I think I'm done with this Christianity stuff. I'm walking away. We'd have to ask you if you actually belong to Christ in the first place. But the scripture says those that he has, he will keep. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, he will keep until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Nothing we can do, there's no power on earth, not power we have, no act we could possibly do that would cause God to have second thoughts and say, I'm done with you. That's enough. You've fallen way too many times after your salvation. No, the scripture says he will preserve us to the very end. We will be glorified. I can remember the very first time, uh, I may have shared this illustration before, the very first time I ever landed on an aircraft carrier in an F-14. The pilot and I were both students, and we went out to the ship, and we had done plenty of touch and goes back at the field to get ready over a, a number of weeks, and now we were ready for the, the big game, the varsity game, and you go out to the carrier, and you're going to do your first landing on the carrier. Your tail hooks down. You're breathing really heavy. You're going through that oxygen like it's going out of business. They, they had told the pilots ahead of time that we trained that as soon as your wheels touch down in the flight deck of the carrier, 
Should you miss one of the four wires with your tail hook, you have to be at 100% power because then what you're just going to do is touch and go and come back around and try it again. It's embarrassing, but you, at least you have the power to get airborne again and come back around. And, and so we came in the first time, and we're, we're reminding ourselves, full power, full power. As soon as you touch down, full power. And we touched down, and the pilot went to full power. I'm sitting in the back seat. pilot went to full power, and he went... Even beyond that, he put it in afterburner, all, all five stages of afterburner, and we caught the wire, the number three wire. It was a perfect landing. And there we are on the flight deck in an F-14, putting out 25,000 pounds of thrust out the back, and we're both like this in the cockpit, you know, <laughs> like this. Finally, the, the air boss comes up on the radio, uh, 205 tower, you can come back on the power. We got you. <laughs> As powerful as those engines were on that airplane, we weren't moving a millimeter. That ship had it permanently in our grip. Our salvation in Jesus Christ alone, apart from works, is in the grip of the Father's hand. And not a thing we can do not a thing anybody, any outside influence can take that away from us. And aren't we thankful that the, the, the preserving of our salvation is not based somehow on us having to hold on to God. Don't lose your grip. But it's completely him holding us right here in the palm of his hand. He loves us that much. He designed this process, and he says, I'll see it to the end until the day of Christ Jesus. And so what do we do with this in a practical way? How, how do we make this really practical for ourselves? Well, I believe any time we look at Scripture, we have to make application for the non-believer and the believer. Even though the non-believer says, well, Scripture applies to me, Yes, it does. Paul writes, the things of God are foolish to those that are perishing. But he also writes in Romans chapter 1 that therefore they, meaning the non-believers, are without excuse. So there is accountability. So I would say if you're here today and you're still wondering about putting your faith in Christ and you're still kind of tangentially meeting with the body of Christ and you're looking in, you're just saying, what's this like? And I've just explained to you what salvation is like. We want that for you. More than that, God wants that really for you as well. I'm confident in two things. I would say to the non-believer, if you're here, I, I would say I'm confident that salvation is in Christ alone. You can't do it yourself. You can't dust yourself off to make yourself look any pretty, get any smarter with more degrees, make any more money out in the, in the workforce. That's not going to do it. It's Christ alone. I'm confident in that. I'm also confident that God will not allow sin to go unchecked. And so living your life and just say, I'll be good. I'll take care of things at the end. We have no idea how long we have on this earth. And if there's never been a time that you put your faith and trust in Christ alone and receive the gift that he offers, it's the grace of salvation let today be your day of salvation. You be encouraged that God has desperately, 
looked for you. And it has a plan for you and for your life. And Jesus paid it all indeed for you as well as for me. And then for the believer in Jesus Christ, you know what oxygen is for lungs, eternal security is really for us. This is how we live and breathe. This is what keeps we go, us going, to know that Jesus indeed saved us and we're not walking a tightrope throughout life wondering, oh, did that put me over the edge? Am I going to lose my salvation? No. That we should live boldly as a result of the fact that we have been saved and we know that we're saved as well. I remember when Desha and I were living in San Diego and we were living in one bedroom apartment. We had a, a, a two-month-old little boy and we were in really cramped quarters there. But we had enough money we, to actually start building a house. And I think probably four or five days of the week we would go over to see that house being built. We watched every stud go in, all the pipes go in, all the wiring. We watched the, we long stopped thinking about the place that we were living in and the difficulty and how cramped it was there. But we were looking to where we were going. That's living boldly. We know this is not our home. Our citizenship has already been transferred from this life to the next if you put your faith and trust in Christ. But we ought to live boldly as a result of that. I remember the college football coach, uh, Lou Holtz, used to, he discouraged his players from doing those big dances in the end zone. He said, guys, make it look like you've been there before. <laughs> you know, we need to live life boldly as if we understand where we're going. And that we actually have a relationship with the God that guaranteed where we're going. And not only do we need to live boldly, but I believe we need to share him boldly as well. Because we are surrounded by a world that is collapsing we're seeing new things every day popping up in the news, a world that is desperately grabbing for something that will make them happy, that will alleviate the pain of life. We indeed hold the key to spiritual cancer in our hands, the Word of God, and our personal testimony that we can one say, I was blind and now I see and Jesus made all the difference between the two. That's why the Apostle Paul says, I am confident. He's reminding the church at Philippi. Some discouragement, some false teaching has crept into the church. And he's saying to them, let this be a reminder for you. I am confident of this very thing. That he, meaning God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. You will be glorified. What a gift we have. What a Savior we know. What a God who loves us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truths of this scripture here. that this was your plan before the foundation of the earth. You call us to yourself. You would willingly go to that cross and pay the price that belonged on our accounts. You willingly laid down your life for each one of us. And then you secured that salvation for us for all of eternity 
You went and prepared a place for us. You said there, where we will be, you'll be with us. We're thankful for the comforting words of eternal security. You hold us in the palm of your hand. You will never, ever, ever let us go. I do pray, Father, that if those that are here who don't know you, that you will give them no rest, no comfortable sleep at night, no good daydreams during the day. I pray that they will constantly be reminded of the doom that awaits them should they not yield their life to you. And, Father, that we would be men and women who are boldly sharing the good news of the gospel, the truth of what we understand, the scriptures explained, that Christ died for our sins, for all of our sins once and for all, that we would be willing to boldly proclaim that we were once blind and now I see, and Jesus lays in the balance between those two. That would be our desire, Lord, that we would honor you in that way with our life. Would you accept that offering from us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And now, for a parting word from Pastor Jesse Johnson. Thanks for joining us today. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area, I would love to meet you personally at Emmanuel Bible Church. Our service times and other church information is on our website at ibc.church. If you want information about the Master's Seminary and their Washington, D.C. location, go to tms.edu. I hope this resource has been an encouragement to you and it helps you seek the Lord daily, serve others around you, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness. May the Lord bless you.